Hello and welcome to the Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host and I am very excited to be joined as always by my co-host and partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawanga Express. He is the Sage candidate to my Sage Steel. Phil Vondra, welcome back to the Pain Cave. It is so good to be back. It's been a while. I'd almost almost forgotten about you, but I still have that picture of you by, by the side of the bed for me. So <laughs> I think about you every day. All is good. It has been way, way too long uh, since we since we did this, and, and we've been trying to record this. I feel like we've been trying to record this episode for about three weeks. We tried to do a Leadville preview, and then we tried to do a UTMB preview, and now we're just going to have to just do a This Month in Ultra Running that covers pretty much the last two months of Ultra Running. And boy, do we have some big stories to talk about. None bigger than the world record that was set this past weekend. And as always, when we have a performance that goes down that we are ill-equipped to talk about, we have to bring in the voice of the sport himself. You all know him as Steel Town Runner on Twitter and Instagram. He is Paul Cantor. Paul, welcome back to the Pain Cave. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you. So we have so much, so much to get through. Paul, we're not going to take up too much of your time with our pointless rambling because we do have an incredible amount of news and, and re results to get through. Uh, but before we do, Phil, what are we drinking tonight? Tonight, well, I thought I'd take it a little easy on myself tonight. I've got a Lawson's Finest Liquids Little Sip. I feel like, that's what, you had, I feel like that's what you had with our last episode. Yeah, if, you, if it's good... You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Good, good. I'm going to go with something a little bit on the lighter side. Well, not lighter side, really, but uh, I have a, uh, a Sloop Juice Bomb uh, IPA. So uh, mo mostly because it's a 12-ounce can, and I had I didn't want to open a 16-ounce can. So 12-ounce, you'll double your body weight if you drink all of that. Cheers, Paul. Cheers, Jay. What do you got there, Paul? It looks like tea. I got chamomile and bullet. We can edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're 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 like kind of open crew here. You can drink what you like, right, Jay? We're equal opportunity alcoholics for sure. <laughs> I, I I I almost pulled out um, an Allagash Black Ooh. Stout, which was um, this wasn't going to go well with the tea. The heavy rain was just uh, I don't know, followed calling my name, but then I uh, I don't know, last time I was on with you guys, I had tea, so seemed uh, seemed appropriate to. Yeah, all this rain certainly puts you in the mood for something nice and dark. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so, uh, oh, God, I, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm on about, like, uh, two or three different psychoactives right now, and I'm coming off of two, two straight nights in the ER. So uh, this is going to be a bit of a rambling mess, but that's okay. That's why people come, I Better think. Better than normal, right? Yeah, yeah. Why? I mean, why change and anything now? We've actually now? had someone here that knows what they're talking about for once. So well, that's, that, that's what I was going to say. So we, like I said, Phil, we have an incredible amount of stuff to get through. We're going to talk about UTMB and all the races at, at the UTMB series. We're going to talk about Leadville. We're going to talk about. We got to go back and talk about Hard Rock a little bit because we haven't potted since then. And I was out there. We got to talk a little bit about that. We have to talk about the U.S. Mountain Running Championships, Pikes Peak, all kinds of stuff uh, going on in the last two months since we've been on. Uh, we're probably not going to get to a lot of our little, tiny, or smaller races that we like to talk about sometimes just because there is so much big news to plow through. But the biggest news, I think, overshadowing, for me at least, overshadowing even what happened at UTMB, and there were some amazing things that happened there this past weekend, was the world record set at the Ultra Park 24-hour in Poland by Alexander Sorokin. We know him as the world 24-hour 
champion and the 100-mile world record holder. You may know him as the Lithuanian Taggart Van Etten. He went out and basically took down uh, what, what many people considered to be the toughest record, standing record in ultra running. And Paul, we, we can let you expound a little bit on that. Some people said it was unbreakable. I don't, I don't know that anything really is unbreakable, but the previous world record for the men at 24 hours, Giannis Koros, the all-time, what most people would consider the, the, the goat of ultra running, previously stood at 303 kilometers, 188.5 miles, and uh, really has not been approached for quite some time. That record is no more. Uh, Alexander Sorokin now uh, really, really, I'm not going to say laid waste to it, but uh, put a, a very serious improvement on that record going almost four miles further, 192.25 miles or 309 kilometers. That's 729 pace for 24 hours. I am struggling to put this into perspective. And Paul, that's why you're here. So um, <laughs> tell, tell, us, tell us a little <laughs> bit about how shocking, I, I, it's not shocking because Alexander, as we said, is, uh, you know, the reigning world champ, the 100 mile world record holder, the 12 hour world record holder. This is, you know, if, if anyone was going to, to approach this record, it was him, but this felt a little bit out of nowhere. And also, I, I don't know that any one of us expected this record to go down, certainly in our lifetime. So um, where where does this stand for you? What are your thoughts uh, just initially coming out of this weekend? Short story is I am as dumbfounded as you. Good. And it seems as are many. Um, Sorokin has this kind of uh, back, well, this is, you know, marginal gains when it comes to elite performance, they're not marginal. You know, a 207 marathon to a 204, that's not the same three minutes as a three-hour marathon going down to 257. Sure. This guy went from a previous personal best of, a, of I believe, um, 173 miles in 24 hours to 292. Excuse me, to 192. That's 19 and a half miles. That's a quantum leap. Um it's a quantum leap if you had he run, you know, much, much less. Yeah. You know, had he gone to, from 150 to 169, um, any leap in performance like that inevitably invites questions, innocent questions. This is not to cast any aspersion, just it's, and this is even aside from uh, any history of doping, but that's the, it's the kind of outsized performance that, you know, Kuros in his first attempt at Spartathlon, that was his first formal ultra, he was so fast that there were accusations of cheating because no one believed it could be run that fast. Mm. Um, Killian, when he first ran UTMB, was held up at a checkpoint because no one thought he could run it that fast. Right. Except this is done on a short course. <laughs> I mean, you had the guy, you know, who was hiding in the Portageon, you know, across the years, you know, and he managed to uh, elude... Um, I guess bystanders then for cheating and you double cr cross the timing mat. And of course this will, will have to be ratified by the IAU. Um, one thing that, you know, some people like Sage Canada and Camille Heron are fond of pointing out is doping control in, uh, in ultra running is largely non-existent. Um, but this is the kind of performance that, and this is without any cynicism whatsoever, just like this is staggeringly good. Um, on the flip side, um, Sorokin will tell you that he was, you know, heavy and smoker, you know, and started running in 2012 to get in shape. Um, you know, don't believe everything you hear. Steve Way, 
was the British marathoner who was a uh, got into recreational running, also trying to lose weight and ran himself away all the way down to a 215 marathon and finishing third at Comrades. So I believe Sorokin has a background as a competitive rower. Um, all the best ones do, right, Phil? Absolutely, yeah. I'm, I think uh, my time will come in this sport. Um, <laughs> and of course, our, our, our friend from uh, the Northeast, Ben Effie, right? He's what, a coxswain or something? Well, he was a coxswain. I don't, I don't know if that actually counts. Right. They, just, they just sit All there right, and you know, yell. They have a good set of lungs on them, but that's about it. <laughs> it's, 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 it's something. A good set of lungs is all you need. <laughs> so, um, but what's crazy is not just him. The number two performance in this race. So, a, Yeah, that's what I, I wanted to point out, yeah. So, some people, you know, will say, you know, uh, Kuros, how did number two do in that race where he ran 303 kilometers? I don't know. <laughs> oh, no. The, the number two guy here ran 183 miles, and Kuros had, I believe, 10 of the top 15 or 10 of the top 13 performances all time for 24 hours. And suddenly the number two guy in this race ran a perfectly forgettable 183 miles. 183 <laughs> miles is still, is still 11 miles more than Mike Morton's American record. Very strong American record, I might add, of 172 miles. Um, and so this is just above and beyond. Um, among the things that crosses one's mind is um, shoes. He's a, I think, all um, metrics point to him being Alexander Sarkin or Sonia, as he's, his friends call him. Um, he's not a Taggart, by the way, because, um, you know, Taggart and I don't mind saying this because I've said this to his face, um, <laughs> is fond of issuing some proclamations. And Sonia, in an interview afterwards, said it wasn't really making any uh, proclamations until he actually did it. So, <laughs> um, but he clearly he's a high responder to these, uh, whichever iteration of the super shoes. Um, and as it was pointed out in a uh, in the week that was Let's Run column, if it or even Ben True said about the... Uh, Nike super spikes. If the super spikes save uh, some half in leg fatigue in a 10,000 meters, I mean, you can imagine what this, you know, what right. saving some leg fatigue can do in 24 hours. What percentage? Who knows? Let's say it's worth 10 miles less. I don't care. No one's touched 180 miles in this time since, and in the time since uh, Kuros. Um, among other, I guess, random musings is we've seen in the last, uh, even pre Camille, um, we've seen in the last five to eight years, really, um, just a surge in elite women's 24-hour performances that has been above and beyond anything we've seen on the men's side. Um, we've seen a level encroaching, at least the bar that Kuro set when you adjust for sex differences. And But we haven't seen any men. You know, Among the best U.S. men is uh, putting like the t very top aside, but Harvey Lewis is an outstanding runner. Mm -hmm. um, I think his personal best is 159 miles. He's mm -hmm. more consistent than most for 24 hours. Like that's really good. That's really exceptional. But sure, been top ten, but, top but, ten in the world but, multiple times. But Courtney DeWalter, her P, her PR is 159 miles. So I think if you were to think of this on like an elite scale, you could say Harvey Lewis's times are you know world class female times, in that sense. But we haven't really seen anybody come close, you know, above, you know, Mike Moore. And so this is, I, I think we are now seeing international men approach to the level of international women, putting the exact numbers aside. This 193 miles, of course, was staggering. Um, but yeah, I think we're still in the early stage. It's going to take some time to, to really process this. Um, when asked afterwards, 
what he thought of perhaps running multi-days. I think he still sees some room for improvement, believe it or not, in this race, although he did say it was kind of a, a perfect day. Um, but I think he thinks that Kuros's 294 miles for 48 hours is a bit out of reach for him, which if, I guess if you need some context for what may or may not be more difficult than this and a more iconic record, um, I shy away from any kind of absolute statements. So the greatest record, the best record, toughest, um, certainly at that level, it's very hard to know. Um, but as we, as I now mentioned, 48 hours, the guy finished again, second in this race um, was from Ukraine. I'm going to butcher his name, Andrei Chachuk or something like that. He, five weeks prior to this, and this will ultimately be a, a, a nice bridge to your UCMB discussion, Five weeks prior to this race, this race again took place the very same day and weekend as UTMB. Right. Five five weeks prior, the same weekend as Hard Rock, Francois was not the only one pulling off a crazy double. <laughs> this guy ran 270 miles in a 48-hour race. Wow. Which is, I mean, that's ridiculous. So that, that's um, seven, seven or eight miles better than Olivia LeBron's American uh, yeah, record. Olivier's record is 262 miles. Right. Um, again, no one's close to Kuros. Kuros, you know, uh, ran a high mileage day one and then died to a 294, <laughs> um, 48-hour. Um, but just imagine, you know, like kind of back-to-back 145-mile days. It's just uh, an, uh, another story. I mean, but these days it's, you know, if you're an elite runner and you're not using some version of a super shoe, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. And that's just kind of the uh, before and after. Sure. Um, you know, if you're still running on a cinder track, then, you know, <laughs> right. I'm more traditionalist than most, but you're an idiot. Um, right. I, there, there's no stopping progress, right? I mean, the, from the right. surfaces to, so, the, to the technology to what we know about, mm-hmm. what more we know about nutrition and recovery and everything else. Obviously, sure. these are advantages that Chorus didn't have. And that's part of what made Chorus so great. Um, yeah. And he had the vision to dream. That's uh, one thing, you know, how could have, how far could of course have pushed himself with stronger competition um, with whatever else. It's, it's hard to know. And I don't know if he had, I know for a long time, 300 kilometers was a major benchmark for him. Um, while he is somewhat misportrayed, I think a lot gets lost in translation. And certainly he's uh, as tough a competitor as speaking to some of his contemporaries, as tough a competitor as anyone has ever seen. Um, n- he is certainly a bit of a diva, but I think he is frequently misunderstood. Um, but hmm, where was I going with that? Anyway, these performances are just, it's going to take some time to process. They are, oh, right. Chorus uh, was fixated on this 300K. I don't think he had as much as he could fantasize these outsized goals. He ran from Sydney to Melbourne one year out of rage when he dished the race and ran it solo nearly a thousand kilometers. He broke five days in that race. And this was a guy not of limited imagination, but I don't think that he could imagine much more than 300 kilometers. Right. And uh, so once he did it, I don't know that he phoned it in after hitting 300 K, but that was, um, you know, so what, what could he do against, um, against uh, Sarkin in this kind of race? I don't know. That's the kind of thing where some, you know, elite runners kind of take each other out of the, out of competition, exchanging blows. One of the crazy things was, Again, you had these people pushing each other to such heights. The uh, third place was a guy from Poland who ran uh, who ran 168 miles, which you know that's enough to win most 24-hour championships. Yep. So, um, yeah, all in all, this is just uh, 
This is some wild stuff. My initial reaction, among other things, was I know that there's a formal process to ratification of records. And, uh, you know, you check, make sure the course is certified. But that doesn't keep, just because a course is certified doesn't mean that, that a volunteer doesn't, doesn't misplace a cone. This happened a few <laughs> years ago in the Milwaukee Marathon. And they had some very top shelf, highly professional course certifier who was told that, you know, he had mismeasured the course and he was very defensive and justifiably so. His uh, professional reputation was on the line. And it turns out that a, that a volunteer, race morning volunteer, had misplaced the cone at a turnaround point. I, so, I want I remember this. I want to say this was uh, maybe it, 10, 12 years ago, and there were like a... No, it was, it was, I'm, I'm sure it happened then. I'm, sure, I'm surprised that doesn't happen more frequently, but it, this was a few years ago in the Milwaukee Marathon. Okay. There, um, there was one race similar where there was a misplaced marker and uh, a whole... Like, there were a bunch of 219 guys who all of a sudden were running 215, and we were just like, holy so crap. No, nothing against Milwaukee. That doesn't happen in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> Here you had Boston qualifiers um, or squeakers um, with a lot at stake. Right. Um, but this race is, um, I mean, you have people, you know, enough GPS data floating out there that you'd see people with with wild discrepancies. This is just um, a massive turning point. Um, had he hit topped 180, it would have been a turning point. Right. Every year has been a matter of um, who could execute this and, you know, anything near Chorus's level. And... Um, I mean, this is a fantastic day for the sport where it's, uh, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Th- there are no words. This this defies, I mean, description. So, so. I, I mean, you've alluded to this a couple times, Paul, and I don't have the, the all-time list in front of me. I mean, Chorus obviously has the, the vast majority of the top 10 performances of all time. Prior to this weekend, had anyone else other than Chorus been over that 180-mile barrier? Um, I will let you know in just a moment. I believe there was one. And I'm gonna have to try to do a quick right. kilometer. So, but but either way, I mean that 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 in and of itself uh, just just uh, kind of makes the, the point close, that the closest that anyone had come was Yoshi Kazuhara. He ran 285k, and actually Yoshi Kazu is an interesting guy. One of the most he's done well at Hurt and done well in 24 hours. Interestingly enough, no, that's a tough um, double. But he ran no, he he ran 177 miles. Okay, so that was it. Okay. So, Closest so anybody right. got was was eleven miles. Was eleven away. miles, right? Uh, that I mean, and, and and again speaks to why many people thought this was, if not unbreakable, uh, as close as you were going to get. To have two people, you know, do this in the same weekend, and and you know, one of them put, you know, four additional miles uh, into that record is just it is it it's amazing. It's um, it's. For sure, it's the performance of that I uh, the the number one performance that I've seen in my time following the sport. Um, you know, chorus predates my involvement in ultra running. There haven't been there's and people say you know speed is new to ultra running, and in some ways yes, some ways no. There was um, um, I think an Ian Thompson, I believe was the name. I'm probably mixing up names now, um, but a British like a two ten marathoner who ran London to Brighton. And you had some people, I mean, heck, recently you had Pat Regan and Zach Bitter. Both, they're not, you know, they're certainly faster than Sorokin and for, for short distances. Right. Both of them have, have kind of uh, bombed out. You have John Olson. Right. He's a 227 mar- marathoner. Um, any number of people with uh, really good speed who have, like, given real legitimate shots at 24 hours. And um, 
locally on a domestic level, we have uh, Nick Curry, who I think he could probably yep. stay as the state's 30 marathon talent. Um, and his whole game is trying kind of uh, risk mitigation right. um, and trying to optimize 24 hours. And Sorokin just blew everything out of the water. His risk mitigation was starting marginally slower than Kuros's 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 his splits on route are ones that many people would dream about as PRs for those individual splits. Right, right. So it's, uh, yeah, this is just truly above and beyond. And the people that I lean on most for um, cautious and well-researched opinions, um, the consensus was that none of them expected this to go. Yeah. Centuries, all right, that could be a bit of hyperbole. None of them expect, they've all been following the sport very closely for over 50 years. None of them expected this to go in the next 50 years. Right, right. Um, and and again, no one else has been within 20 kilometers of this ever. Uh, why would you expect that to go down? Yeah, it's, it, it is an astonishing performance. And, you know, we, you bring up a good point about the, the idea of speed uh, and, you know, in, in ultra running. And, and I think you, you make an excellent point. It's been around forever. I mean, uh, you know, there are plenty of 220 and sub 220 ultra runners who have have or ha marathoners who have had success at the ultra distance and, and even up to 24 hours. But, you know, and, and this is this does go into one last thing I wanted to ask you about before you go, uh, pretty much unrelated to, to uh, this weekend's events. But, you know, uh, Elliot Kipchoge, the, the greatest marathoner of all time, some some believe, made some news this past week when uh, he was on a podcast and, and had talked a little bit about running ultras. You know, the the, the skill set between running a, a marathon and a 50K and a 50 mile even, and even 100K on the road, and the difference between that and running 100 miles or 24 hours is very, very different from a physiological perspective uh, as much as anything else. And the, um, you know, the physiologic traits that make Kipchoge the greatest of all time and, and, you know, somebody who's able to scare up two hours for the marathon don't necessarily translate to uh, a race like 24 hours necessarily, where physiologically, nutritionally, uh, and, and everything else, things are very, very different. I have no doubt that he could be the greatest 50K to 50 mile runner in history. Uh, beyond that, things get a lot more dicey, I think. I mean, I'll... I'll give him even more than that. I'll say up to 100 miles. Uh, Kouros was um, of the opinion now uh, on Let's Run, they just published an interview that they had with him a few years ago. Um, and this is really reinforcing a point that he has said many times that I think something gets lost in translation, but a lot of shorter, quote, shorter trail races, let's say uh, stuff like Western States, which he actually raced, didn't race it. He ran it years ago, the, I think two weeks after his sole effort at a thousand miles, where he ne nearly broke ten days, um, but Kuros considered a lot of these again quote shorter races, hundred miles and shorter, as stuff that functionally you could approach very similarly to a marathon in training and execution. And uh, but twenty four hours was this kind of thing. At least for him, it was something that he approached very spiritually and practiced some sort of. Uh, meditative approach or dissociation or whatever but it was a long enough race where he felt it just forced you to go to this different place mentally um one thing though that is i guess pretty important to point out um andy milroy the longtime historian of ultra running uh mentioned said kuros was really picking up historic slack when he moved the world best from 170 to 188 miles um and you know over the years i think it was um 
and he charts out the progression from 1882 all the way to 1997, where Corosa uh, ran 303 kilometers or 188 miles. And uh, he said, you know, the sustained competitive pressure really hadn't been there. And that was part of Corosa's greatness was being able to continually raise the bar um, without any kind of competitive pressure. Right. But really, if you were to chart things out over time, um, it really was kind of a historic slack. And although 24-hour racing does go back to, you know, the late 1800s, there are still, I guess, the whole middle half of the 1900s where it wasn't being com- raced on a competitive level right. whatsoever. Right. And once it did, you, you weren't having really fast people do it. So, um, you know, but just a reminder is 200, you know, this, <laughs> I tweeted after this that we need a 200 mile in 24 hour <laughs> buck, buck, buckle for it. Um, <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, that's again, Zach Bitter has, is the only American, no, one of two Americans to ever run under 12 hours for a hundred miles and back to back to, um, Back to back twelve hour hundreds is, I mean, I can't even it, say the sentence coherently. It, it but seems it, unthinkable, but that's what this begs: is that right. if he thinks there's any room for improvement, that's the ne- next major benchmark. And um, yeah, I mean, what was cool is, I mean, this brought all sorts of excitement. It's the shame was that I think, um, as one friend pointed out, by virtue of his own success, Francois is. Uh, ran a perfectly forgettable another victory at <laughs> and yeah. uh it, it is too bad had, that they had to happen on the same day and you had a sub 13 hour bob graham round um the yep. only, you know seven minutes off of uh killian's fkt bob grand Gra- bob grand round i'll uh give an exception to call that a record um it's historic enough but i mean you had a you had a lot of excitement one single weekend that i mean that's been a long year we could have spread these things apart yeah like because any one of these really deserves us to um yeah i mean clearly i'm still uh trying to put my wrap my own head around this yeah it's been a, it's been a big weekend of process paul you've been generous with your time thank you for for coming on and lending your expertise uh because certainly phil and i don't have any and uh it, this podcast benefits from having somebody who knows what they're talking about are you going to be I know the the self transcendence run the thirty one hundred starts this week. I assume you'll be uh, out on the course at some point. I will be popping by intermittently as my schedule allows. Um, it's not the kind of thing I ever look into in advance, and the race goes on long enough that time <laughs> yeah, to time time to <laughs> and, and there are f- and there are few enough r- runners who participate. The only thing I'm very aware of is it's going to be cooler weather than usual. Finally, I don't yeah. Think- I don't think he has any incentive to improve his mark, but Ashbury Hanel Alto, the guy who has the uh, course record, world record, or whatever you want to call that 3,100 mile thing, but he, uh, when he ran it in, uh, I think, 40 days, nine hours, um, he's coming back for his 16th time. Wow. People make a big deal about running Leadville 16 times. I mean, which <laughs> and for, for every good reason in the world, but. Um, this is not a particularly scenic block in New York, and um, I'm a big fan of New York, and I, I live in Queens. Um, there's a lot going on there, and uh, man, to spend 16... 16 years of... 16 year, two of, two it, months at a time running around a, an, em- spend, an elementary school in Queens? Yeah, it's a 0.55 mile loop, and um, you know that's devotion to a cause. And uh, they say... 
I think Tom Osler said, you know, the great ultra runner said in the late 1960s, if you're running for more than half an hour, a few times a week, it's for something other than health. And God <laughs> knows that certainly qualifies. <laughs> but, but yes, I, 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 will, I will be stopping by. I uh, hope to see you there. Paul, thanks so much for coming on. It's been great to see you and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon. Uh, my uh, feedback following your trail discussion will follow offline. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. See you. All right. We are back. Phil, it was great to have Paul on to lend us his expertise. And now the listeners are going to have to do make do with our lack thereof as we run through a veritable gauntlet, a blitzkrieg, if you will, of ultra and trail results and news over the past couple of months. We have so much to talk about. Uh, I think the place to start would probably be UTMB because that's going to be the next biggest story on the docket and, and we'll kind of work our way backwards from there. So, you know, some some crazy news, of course, as always out of Chamonix over the past week with the UTMB Festival of Races, uh, CCC, TDS, OCC, UTMB. There's so much that we can talk about and, and we could spend a, an hour just on all of those things. Uh, I think we're going to try and do it in about 10 or 15 minutes if we can. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I think the place to start, at least so we make sure that we recognize this and, and um, you know, don't don't pass this by is uh, with TDS, which is is a good place to start, I guess, because it's one of the earlier races in the in the in the week. Um, but uh, we, you know, the TDS, unfortunately, was marred by uh, the accidental death of a Czech runner who uh, to this point, I, I've I've not. Uh, heard his name uh, or heard him be, being identified yet, at least in, in the media, but uh, had a, a fall off of the side of a, a, a ledge about 60 kilometers in and uh, unfortunately passed a, a terrible tragedy. I, I believe the first uh, fatality in the history of the UTMB, um, you know, week or, or race series. So, you know, terribly unfortunate. The, ra the race was halted behind him, although uh, in front uh, it did continue. Uh, but the course was closed after that. I know uh, Yassine Daboon, a friend of the pod, uh, was was there and, and actually came up to the spot just a minute or two after the, the accident occurred, and, and they were halted there. He said he saw the, the, the drones and helicopters moving in, and, and um, then they were they were turned back. Uh, so, yeah, incredibly sad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sad. And then, you know, we talked about this when we had AJW on, and there was that terrible tragedy in China. I mean, this is, you know, this is not a sport without risk, and, and I think everyone accepts that, but uh, it doesn't make this sort of thing any any easier to, to deal with or, or anything like that. And, of course, um, you know, a terrible tragedy for, for the family and the, the Czech ultra-running community, UTMB, obviously, and, and just the ultra-running community in general. So um, we just wanted to, to acknowledge that. Uh, we might as well talk a little bit about TDS, which, you know, is is one of the kind of three biggest races, I guess, within the in the UTMB calendar as it as it exists right now. You know, stories, I, I think what, what we can I mean, we could get deep into the weeds on all of these things. But as uh, we are at least nominally Americans here, um, at least some of us, uh, we tend to focus on on the American types of results. So, um, you know, uh, and, and I think. One one common theme that's going to emerge as we talk about these races over the last week is that, you know, uh, aside from a few notably very bright spots, um, I think the, the American story is one of, uh, I, I would I would venture to say, disappointment um, across many of these races. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think the, the top American was Tyler Green, right, at TDS, 10th place. 
Uh, no, no. Seth Swanson actually was came oh. in seventh, um, and Tyler was tenth. So two, I mean, two very good finishes there at, at TDS for the men. Yeah. You know, Tyler coming back from his uh, amazing finish, podium finish at Western States. Um, yep. And I, I did want to talk a little bit about folks who, who uh, you know, a lot of people attempted the uh, the double, the double from Western States to one of the UTMB yeah. races or the Hard Rock races, and in most cases it did not go well. Um, I think Tyler is probably talented enough that he could, he, he should be thinking about a podium finish at one of these things. But I think coming off of an amazing finish at States and then to come back with a top ten at TDS is great. And Seth Swanson, uh, you know, a guy who uh, we haven't heard much from in the past couple of years, coming in through with a top ten on a course that. I would think would suit his skill set very well. He's had a lot of success yeah. on hard technical mountain courses, you know, a, a, an excellent comeback performance from him. And we're going to talk more about some other comeback performances, obviously, uh, when we get to some of the other races. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the sort of things aside from, you know, some of the uh, the big results there in the, uh, you know, the series of races is is doing these doubles, you know, the, the Western States, Hard Rock, you know, CCC, TDS, UTMB double, that's like one of the big, like, kind of questions about, you know, some of the underperformance, some of the drops, you know, right. that kind of, um, so yeah, we, we can, we can get into that. Yeah. Uh, sure. Alex, Alex Borsuk, who we've mentioned on the, on the show before, uh, uh, an 11th place finish for the women, uh, top American on that side, a, a good showing. Camille Mayfield, who came in, I think, with an injury, did DNF on the early side, and, and uh, Meredith Edwards, uh, was also a DNF for the for the American Elite Women TDS uh, CCC. We did see some success on the women's side. Abby Hall, uh, I believe, a, another swap athlete, right? Am I right about that? I think that is correct. Yep. Yep. She was uh, second. Was she I second think? place at CCC? An uh, absolute world class performance coming off of a very yeah. strong, although. Uh, I, I'd hesitate, I, I would hesitate to say a disappointing performance at Western States, but I think she has the potential to be in the top, uh, you know, five to 10 at Western States and, you know, came back from a, a, a solid 14th place finish and, and really um, ran to her, uh, her incredible potential at CCC with a second place finish there. So that was, that was fantastic for the, for the women, the men's side, some, some good solid performances. Uh, from, you know, folks we talk about pretty often, Chris Brown, 13th, Avery Collins, 15th. That was that was great to see, especially since Avery hasn't really been racing all that much recently. It was good to see him mix it up. And he had some um, some really uh, insightful and, and I thought uh, great stuff to say on Instagram about his race. He was very, um, very, uh, I think, uh, grateful and appreciative of being there and, and having the opportunity to race against uh, some real world class competition. And he really he really savored that opportunity. Scotty Hawker, another swap athlete, second for the men. Oh, yeah. Scotty Hawker out of New Zealand, who he was third at UTMB, I think, the last time it was run. Is that correct? That is correct. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 2019, right? Yeah. Jared Hayes and DNF, and that is going to become a theme for the the Coconino Cowboys as we talk about this over the next yeah. few minutes here. Not a good weekend for those guys. And again, another uh, attempted Western States double that did not go well. Uh, let's talk quickly about the the main event, UTMB itself, and one double that did go well. I mean, Paul is not on right now, but I'd, I'd love to hear his thoughts on you know, I, I know Paul is of the opinion, opinion that Killian is actually underrated for some of his exploits. And I think if you asked him who was the greatest big mountain ultra runner of all time, he might say Killian, although he, right. as he says, does not like to deal in statements of bests and absolutes and that sort of thing. 
But if it's not Killian, it's Francois. Francois Dehaene is just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to say with Francois, he's the, you know, the 100-mile mountain at that kind of distance, you know, the longer race distance. He's probably, you know, the, uh, the, the you know, the greatest runner of those kind of distances and, and you know, in the mountains. Uh, Killian probably spreads across, you know, more distances. You know, he can win at Sierra Zanal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can win at Hard Rock. You know, mm-hmm. he can win at UTMB. So... He can win at Western yeah. States. Can win at Western States, yeah. Um, but uh, I think if he hadn't worn the spandex, he probably would have had a chance there. But anyway, <laughs> it's not a story. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I mean, outstanding. And, you know, he did the double. And, you know, a lot of people have been whinging about the double, not being able to do it. He did it. Um, you know, it's, it is doable. I guess. <laughs> I guess if you're Francois. I don't know how. Yeah, I mean, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about Hard Rock in a little while because I was out there and I, I do want to talk about some of the stuff that, that went down out there. Um, yeah, I mean, the, Francois, his fourth UTMB win, first since 2017, doubling back after a, a, a uh, what's the word, maybe astounding course record at Hard Rock, basically shattering the old course record by yeah. a, a, a solid hour comes back six weeks later and just lays waste to the UTMB field under pressure from Jim early on and really did not seem to bother him whatsoever. Doesn't seem like the kind of guy who gets bothered by uh, competition by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, look, he, he's he's done this double. He, in 2017, won what was, you know, many people consider the greatest field ever assembled for a trail 100 miler at UTMB. Then he beat Jim, he beat Debo, he beat Killian, he beat Xavier, he beat uh, Pau Capel. I mean, that was it, yeah. it was it was basically every name that we talk about on this show yeah. over and over. And, the most competitive one, uh, you know, and, ever. And and he was he was the one. Um, so I mean, what more can you say? Leading a leading a French sweep of I, I think the top five positions. Top five, yeah. It was uh, yeah, totally totally dominated by the French runners. Yeah, yeah, just a, a really, really impressive. Matthew Blanchard finishing third. We talk about him a lot because he actually is French, but lives in in uh, Canada and Quebec, I believe. And he's he, we yeah. see him come down to some of the Northeast races. He's won Bear Mountain in the past, and yeah. I think he's has he competed at um, Manitou's as well, or am I? I, I may be wrong about I'm not that. Sure, he was definitely at the North Face Fifty. Yeah. when I was there. I mean, he's. I think. We can basically say he's American, I think. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to claim him <laughs> for that. Let's take him into the fold. Well, we might need to. The, the top American finisher, Luke Jay, a very solid runner, but a 30th play finish. You know, certainly not what we were hoping for on the American men's side as we go another year without really, you know, cracking that, that number one spot or even anywhere, you know, sniffing the podium. Yeah, and um, Jim was pretty solid for a while. I think, you know, his, uh, his stomach went a little bad. I saw a picture of him and Francois sharing a jar of pickles, which is a nice touch, you know. COVID, COVID um, approved. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, the pickling juice is probably fairly sanitizing. I'm not sure whether they were uh, kosher dill or sweet pickles, but I'm, I'm guessing they were kosher dill. <laughs> <laughs> Extra salty. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what the issue was. I mean, look, we, we're talking about this. You know, we're just going to keep hammering this kind of this idea of the double. You know, it worked for Francois 
and I, you, I guess you could say it worked for Courtney, although she made it through about 55 miles of, of hard rock. So I don't know if you can really count that uh, as anything more than just a long, hard training run necessarily. There's a big difference between doing 55 miles and 100 miles six weeks before the race. I mean, 55 miles is kind of a nice training run. So, you know, when you, when you look back at, at the other folks who attempted this double uh, from Western States, you look at Jim, you look at Tim Tollison, and, and just going going on down the list, including basically the entire women's podium from Western States who was in this race, and every single yeah, one of them was a drop. Yeah. Um, you know, showing 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 a couple of things. I think one, just obviously how difficult it is to do two incredibly high level hundred mile races in the same summer, and yeah. number two, how different the skill set that's required to run, and we talk about this all the time, that's required to run Western States and UTMB. UTMB and, and Western States have very, very little in common. They are both mountain, quote unquote, mountain hundreds. Beyond that, I think it takes a, a very different runner to succeed at the highest level at both of those races. Beth, you know, Beth Pascal has obviously done very well at both. And, you know, Francois has done very well at both. And even Jim, you know, you would say, I mean, by his standards, a seventh place or a sixth place or whatever his his top finish at UTMB is is yep. is, is very good and uh, it's just not up to kind of what we expect from him. You know, Tim Tollefson obviously has top. There's plenty of people who have top tens at both of these things, other than other than Killian. I don't know that anyone has and Courtney. I guess I don't know that anyone has pulled off both of them. They're they're very very different races and we talk about this all the time. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I, mean, I don't think you have to go any further than to say Francois won UTMB four times. Jim has yet to really solve this puzzle. And when you yeah. flip it around, the last time that they raced at UTMB, Jim beat Francois by, I don't know, 90 minutes. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, it, they're very, very different. And I think trying to accomplish that specific double of Western States and UTMB in the same year uh, just requires very different skill sets, very different training and and. It, it is an incredibly, incredibly difficult task. Yeah, I think the big, the big question for me is that you know the UTMB Ironman Link Up, UTMB becoming the World Championships of hundred mile mountain running. What does that do to Western States and Hard Rock and maybe some other races? You know, these are obviously the, some of the peak races in the US. If you want to go to the World Championships and be a competitor, you cannot race at Western States or hard rock and have a chance of being the world champion as proven by a large number of drops and underperformances, you know, how does that weed out some of the top talent from those races? You know, um, what does the landscape look like next year when this partnership takes over and they push it? You know, I saw on the UTMB channel that when Courtney won and broke the course record at UTMB, they were calling it the world record. Not the course record, it was called the world record that okay. she broke. I mean, that's just silly. Um, that, that, that's yeah. stupid. But what does it do to these other races? Because clearly, if you want to perform, like, you know, let's take Sabrina Stanley, for example. You know, she did great at Hard Rock. It's fantastic. But, you know, she's going to start to race some of these other fast women. She's got to go to UTMB, and she can't go there having raced Hard Rock and necessarily be competitive. Look, it is possible, right? We know it's possible, but it's definitely going to bite into your performance in some way right if you want to be at the world championships trying to be the best in the world you're gonna to have to skip some of these other top races yeah well sabrina i mean sabrina was on the start list for this race and and dns which uh you know again <laughs> probably looking at 
the kind of performances that we saw from people doubling back from these other big summer hundreds was the was the smart decision. And yeah. Yeah, Sabrina Sabrina is very uh, methodical and measured in in looking at her career as a whole. And I I'm, I have no doubt that she made the right decision for herself, and that's great. Um, yeah, look, I mean, what I have to say about that is this is the world championship as much as people accept that it is the world championship. I mean, it's the world championship because, yeah, but that's the thing, right? It's the world championship because they say it is. And, yeah. and you know, that, that will hold as long as people treat it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get a little bit more to this when I wanted to talk about kind of this when we, when we get to Leadville and when we get to some of the, 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 the other news coming out of the, the Western States front. But yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think if, if people are going to treat this with ultimate primacy, then yes, I, I think and not just Western states and, and, and hard rock and everything else. I think every other race in the, in the world, you're going to have to think about, you're going to have to have second thoughts about any other mountain hundred if, you know, within, I don't know, six months of this race, if you want to compete yeah. at the top level, because it is that competitive and it is that difficult. I mean, Western and states- these races become a sideshow. Right. You know, it's just right. like, well, it wasn't really going to happen at the World Championships for him, so he went to, to Hard Rock or Western States, you know. Right. Now, now, Western States in the past has been comparably competitive, I think. I, I think there, yeah. there have oh, definitely been years, especially recently, where Western States could make an argument that their, their starting fields are right up there with, with UTMB, certainly. 100%. 100%, um, yeah. But does that change? That's kind of my... Well, and the, and the, other, and the other thing is, Western States at this point is a... For the, for these for the top men, uh, is a fifteen to sixteen hour proposition, whereas mm-hmm. UTMB is a twenty to twenty two hour proposition, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so so those those are very different stresses on the body. You can manage a Western States where you're out there for four to six hours less time, and 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 build a race schedule around that much much differently than you can a race like UTMB where the 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 absolute best you're going to do is 20 hours basically or or somewhere in that range um and and that that has implications on how a season has to be built i think yeah um we've glossed over we've glossed over courtney a little bit and we shouldn't courtney dewalter who you know is uh, your favorite and mine and and pretty much everyone else's defending her title from 2019 not only that, uh, you know, recovering from the disappointment at, at Hard Rock and uh, besting the course record set by Rory Bosio, I think that had stood for eight or nine years, 22-30, seventh overall, really, truly the first American well ahead of, of uh, Luke Jay, who we yep. mentioned earlier. Just, just an astonishing and dominating performance. Uh, not that we're surprised by that coming out of Courtney, but I think the, the way in which she dominated that race and just the degree to which she just laid waste to what was an incredibly competitive women's field is is astonishing you know the the margins of victory are insane that is i think helped in in large part by the uh <laughs> really shocking number of drops among the the women's elite runners um of of a whole bunch of people that we would have thought could have comp- could have contended for a podium spot or a win, and we'll get to that in a second. But um, you know, nevertheless, still uh, 99-minute margin of victory over uh, second place Camille Brias and, and um, third place Mimi Kotka, who is a, a, a fan favorite of ours as well. Uh, over two and a half hours behind. Uh, that is that is big, astounding. Big kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, she absolutely absolutely laid it down. You know, course record. 
Um, I mean, I think she was an hour and 20 minutes behind Francois. Was it an hour and 20 minutes? Two, uh, I, th- I want to say two hours. And an 20. hour and 40 minutes, yeah. around 45 minutes, sorry. But yeah, I mean, pretty close to him, really. I mean, yeah. Quite, uh, I mean, quite she was closer to Francois than Mimi was to her. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, she, I mean, I guess the, the, the question is, I mean, she did win by a good margin, but what if she had had a back like hard rock? You know, what if her and Sabina had been like rocking and rolling to the finish? Right. Would she be as I, I have a feeling she, maybe she could have, but, uh, you know, the, her, the, her DNFing there was, you know, rather than battling on, which was a really smart move. I mean, she could have been out there for 35 hours and, oh, sure. and make up her UTMB. So yes. smart on her part from the, uh, the, you know, uh, cutting it short at Hard Rock uh, and focusing on UTMB. And obviously that's proved very, very wise decision. Yeah. I mean, certainly rockets her to the top of the list of, um, of performance of the year among American women, uh, especially considering that the, the podium at Western States was all uh, Europeans. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't see anyone displacing that short of a miracle uh, down, down, the, down the line. You know, I, I think we can table... The conversation on where Courtney ranks among the all-time greats for another day, and and certainly, uh, you know, we might as well wait until her career's over, or at least uh, you know, more yeah. winding down rather than uh, kind of in the meat of it. You know, she's had a little bit of disappointment. It it hasn't been the the kind of most dominating eighteen months or so for her, as as at least uh, to the standards that we've held her in the past, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Two straight UTMBs at this point, uh, just adding to an incredible resume. You could drop all of the 200-mile stuff that, you know, amazed a lot of people where she's beating uh, all the men and, and um, you know, just, just focus on basically what she's done at, at Western States UTMB and, and if you want to throw Big's Backyard in there and then and, and, yeah. the, and the 24-hour, yeah. where you know, as, as obviously a former world record holder or American record holder, I should say. That, that in and of itself puts her among the all-time greats. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's great to have her back on top after a struggle at, at Hard Rock. And, and like you say, that, that probably, you know, we'll never know, but that probably worked out really well for her. Um, we mentioned the rest of the podium. Emily Hawgood, who we've talked a lot about on the show, another favorite of ours, and who, who came, another one who was able to pull off a, a very strong Western States uh, UTMB double. Uh, coming back with a uh, 10th place finish here to go along with her top 10 at, at Western States also. Yeah. We we got to talk a little bit about the DNFs. We've been alluding to this um, over well, the past yeah. few minutes. Um, I'm just going to read a list uh, on the men's side of, uh, this is just a partial list of some of the DNFs uh, that I pulled off of, I think, our run far. We talked about Jim. Uh, we talked about Tim Tolfson, uh, a former uh, podium finisher here at, West, at, at UTMB, coming off of a top 10 at Western States, uh, DNF. Xavier, uh, I believe a former UTMB champ. Tom Owens, uh, who we, we love, obviously, a former uh, CCC champ. Tim Frericks, um, another Coconina Cowboy DNF. Damian Hall, another former fo- podium finisher here. Oh, Ryan Sandys, former Western States winner. Let's go to the women's side because it's, it's, I think, even more insane. Beth Pascal, Audrey Tangay, Ragna DeBots, I believe if I... Uh, Hillary I, Allen. Yeah, I, I believe that's the entire podium of Western States this year. Yeah. Coming back to UPTMB and every single one of them uh, took the DNF. And, and then Brittany Peterson, uh, who was fourth. So you had the top four women at Western States attempting this double and none of them finish. Uh, Hillary Allen, who you mentioned, I'm, I'm actually not sure what happened to Hillary. She, she banged her toe, apparently. She oh, had seriously? A, that was she, it? Okay. Yeah, she, 
I think she hit a rock pretty hard and she was a bit worried that she'd done some damage, so she uh, she pulled out. Uh, Hillary K- Kelly Wolf, uh, another uh, fantastic American, Els McDonald from Canada, who's been top 10 at Western States before. I mean, it, it was the carnage, I think, you know, it's always striking at UTMB, but uh, it, it seems like this year even more, more so than usual. And um, yeah, again, the, the American men just haven't figured this one out. And, and it may be that this has to be the only hundred of the summer for these guys if, if they're going to, to be able to dethrone Francois and Pau Capel and, and the rest of these guys. Pau, of course, did not start uh, recovering from an injury. Yep. Looks like, uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be something that people are going to have to think about, you know, going through to next year and see if they're going to race States or, or Hard Rock or any other kind of races around this time and whether just they have 100% folks on UTMB. Right. So it'll be interesting to, to see what shakes out from this. Let's talk a little bit about Hard Rock because we have been talking around that for a while. Um, I was I was out there pacing our buddy Brian, who uh, had a really strong performance to finish 20th overall. It was uh, just to, as, as my little editorial here, uh, Silverton and the San Juans, that was my first time there. It is absolutely stunning, absolutely gorgeous. Silverton, a, a, an awesome little mountain town. I paced 28 miles from Telluride to the finish, and I have to say that was one of the hardest things I've ever done in, in ultra running, having just to do those 28 miles. And I only had to make, I think, three passes over 13,000 feet. Uh, the, the course obviously makes, I think 13 passes over 13,000 feet over right. the course of hundred miles. It is absolutely insane. And, uh, the performances that, that these folks put up, uh, particularly we talked about Francois, Sabrina, Debo was, uh, just, just amazing. Yeah. Um, so in, on the men's side, three runners under the course record, is that correct? Three runners. Uh, Three. Francois was like an hour and a half under it, wasn't he? So uh, Francois was, I believe, uh, an hour and a half under the um, the counterclockwise record, which is the direction that they ran this year. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the course switches directions each year. So there's a, a, a course mm-hmm. record in each direction, obviously. Francois was, I right. think, an hour and a half under the counterclockwise record and about an hour under the overall course record, which Killian had set right. clockwise in one mm-hmm. of his wins. Debo was second, uh, also under the counterclockwise course record by about 30 minutes and was just behind Killian's previous course record in the clockwise direction. I, I believe those were the only two under that, that counterclockwise course record. I think Ryan was uh, Ryan Smith, who was third, was, I think, had the what would have been at that point the second fastest counterclockwise uh, right. uh, I'm circuit. actually checking my notes, and he was five minutes under the counterclockwise culture oh was he okay wow so three, three under that under that direction yeah. and yeah. and right and and that would be i believe all three of them in the five among the five fastest uh runs of all time just uh yeah. outside of uh killian's two, two course uh, record performances good to get that in there in case we uh we get fact checked by anyone uh i mean it's just going to be paul i guess <laughs> does worry at times um those performances were Absolutely awesome to to witness. Uh, Ryan Smith was. Uh, it was. I saw him once or twice. It was. It was great to see him really mix it up. And and he's he's an, an incredibly tough competitor. Debo, as we know, um, I actually only saw him once very briefly as we were making our way up to Grouse Gulch, and then he and Francois were just gone. Um, but uh, you know, uh, it was it was really really fun to be there for that. Uh, the women's race. We alluded to a little bit. Courtney was out on course record pace, and uh, when I saw her at Grouse, looked 
you know, looked like Courtney, smiling, happy, uh, looked very, very good. Her stomach went south shortly after that. So we saw her at Grouse, which is about 42. By the time they got to right. Ure, which is about 55, she was starting to have some issues. And, and I think her day was over by about 60. Yeah. Um, so, As you know, you said, it worked out well for her. Yes, really yes, yes. So, I, I'm sure this no. will be a footnote in the in the Courtney of 2021 story. You know, Sabrina was in second place when I saw her at Grouse. Uh, we love Sabrina. She's a great friend of the pod. She was a great guest on the pod. And, and we have uh, the absolute ultimate respect for her as an athlete, a competitor and everything else. I'm going to yeah. tell you that when she came into Grouse, I was like, wow, she looks like she is struggling. And she she's, right. I, I mean, it, it's an interesting contrast between Courtney and Sabrina, who are both incredibly tough competitors. Um how Courtney, I think, whether or not it's a, it's a, you know, something she puts on, or if it's just the way she really does approach everything, never really looks. At least when when you see her in these aid stations, she doesn't look stressed. She's always happy. She's always laughing. She's always smiling. And you know that that's. I mean that that goes back years. People talk about you know no matter how bad bad you feel, come into an aid station with a smile, and and you'll get the energy reflected back to you. And you know, there's yeah. obviously been science showing that just smiling by itself reduces the the uh, rate of perceived exertion and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, not to get all sciencey like this podcast was supposed to be, uh, but that's serious science. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, Sabrina, Sabrina is. I mean, that it is. It is just basically game face from the gun, and uh, it's business like. It is very intense, and it was really, really impressive to see because she she yeah. did not look great coming into grouse. She looked. I, I would have said if anyone was struggling, it was her. But she just got stronger as the race went on, and she finished at a dead sprint. Uh, it was I, it yeah, was nuts, absolutely nuts. Just missing the course record um, in in uh, slightly over twenty three hours, but uh, a, a, an absolutely dominant win uh, on the women's side in her second straight. Uh, now a two time defending champ. Okay, yeah, good times out there. Yeah, and and I think, like we said, made the made the smart decision to to take the DNS uh, at Hard Rock, which I think was was borne out by the the performances of a lot of uh, men and women who who attempted these these crazy doubles. And I, I mean, could you even say that Courtney attempted the double? I, I don't know. Uh, you know, given the DNF at Hard Rock, like you say, it's it's probably just a good, a good long run. But uh, yeah, Hard Rock, it, it's pretty awesome. Um, it's definitely not a course that I want to race anytime, but I would definitely go back and I'll I'll pace you there for sure when you get in. Uh, it is, it, it is, it's well, striking. Uh, it's it's yeah. it's frightening. <laughs> it's uh, I mean. The weather is crazy, and, and they had a good weather year. But uh, you know, a good weather year includes maybe one hailstorm and one thunderstorm. So, you know, um, and and just the the beauty and the difficulty, the rugged terrain, and and everything else. We we hit snow a couple times still in uh, wow. late July, over thirteen thousand feet. So it was cool. yeah, very just 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 un, unreal. So mountain running at its best. Absolutely, absolutely. Nice. Speaking of which, let's talk briefly about Leadville, where I also was. I've been in Colorado yeah. a lot this summer. Whoa. Was hoping to run Leadville this year. That didn't happen uh, as I'm kind of working my way back from a little bit of a knee thing. But I was out there coaching for a few athletes. You know, Leadville, one of my favorite races, one of my favorite races in the world. Uh, just a, a beautiful course, a really, really fun town, really fun community. Uh, the race um, has a great history, obviously. Courtney's hometown, Leadville. For now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found that interesting. You know, Leadville's a tough place to, I mean, 
it's tough to live at 10,000 feet and train at 10,000 feet. I mean, we were talking about this on our run today. It's, it's hard to run fast when you're at 10, at 10,000 feet. It's hard to run hills when you're at 10,000 feet. Now I know Courtney famously does not do, you know, what we would, at least she says what we would consider, you know, interval training or hill work. And she just goes out and runs and, and maybe that works. But I mean, for, for the type of training that, that, uh, that you and I do, and I think most ultra runners at this point, a competitive ultra runners do where you're doing, uh, at least some structured speed work or fartlek. You're doing some hill repeats. You're doing some higher intensity stuff. Uh, you know, with with a fair degree of regularity. I don't I don't know how you would do that around Leadville without really really compromising your performance. Yeah, it seems hard. Really slowly. Yeah, really slowly. Exactly. That, that sounds hard. Exactly. The the fireworks at Leadville definitely were on the men's side. The the talk obviously coming in was the return of uh, the chosen one himself, Anton Krupicka, yeah. coming back. His first 100-mile race in seven years. The two-time champ, I, I think the last time he won Leadville was 2007, so coming back 14 years after that, after his second win there. Going up against Ian Sharman, the four-time champ at Leadville, uh, among a host of other people, including Tyler Andrews, including Cody Reed uh, from another Coconino Cowboy uh, coming back from, from Western States, uh, another tough double there. And, uh, and many others, um, Dave Kilgore, uh, East Coast favorite. And, uh, you know, Anton did not disappoint, I got to say, uh, for, for the first race back. And there was a ton of anticipation about it. And he, I yeah. think, tried to play it down as much as he could. But uh, he executed a really, really brilliant race to, to finish third. And he was uh, exceptionally well tanned, I think, is... <laughs> As always, as one always. Of the, uh, one of the conclusions about his performance, he was running in his uh, his tight shorts with his tan, and you have a picture of him on your nightstand. I have a picture of you. I so, have. I, I got. I got a selfie with him from the pre-race meeting that I will treasure that, forever. And he was very nice to very nice to you know oblige me there. He, uh, you know, I was saying this to you earlier today, and I, I think it bears repeating for the pod. He runs. Like he is never, I mean, from, from the multiple times I saw him out on course and I never seen him run in person before, but he ran, I should say, as if he were never under any sort of pressure or stress whatsoever. And it was a, a bit of a contrast, I thought, between him and Ian, who uh, the, the times I saw them, I saw them three different times on the course. Uh, the three times I saw them, they were a minute apart each time. Um, yeah. And uh, Ian looked strong and obviously is a, an incredibly accomplished 100-mile runner who we talk about all the time and, and looked strong and solid and, and composed, but was, um, I, to me, I could see the wheels turning a little bit. I could see the, I could see the, I don't want to say the stress or anything like that, but he was definitely responding to everything around him and, and uh, you know, he's, he's a very cerebral guy and that's kind of how he runs. Whereas Anton looked like he did not have a care in the world. It looked a lot to me like when we were at Brazos Bend in 2019 and we saw Pat Regan uh, run that incredible 1240. After being under pressure for a lot of the first 100K and actually trailing early on in the race, same kind of thing. Never, never once looked like his stride was under any sort of strain, never looked like he was concerned in the least about what was going on around him, ran his own race, and um, you know his stride looks exactly the same with every single step. To the, you know, so Anton to me was the biggest story. And I think to most people, uh, third place finish in 1707, I think about a, an hour behind his best time on the course. 
The top two, uh, some big surprises. Adrian McDonald um, out of Fort Collins, a young guy in his first 100-mile race, took the win over you know what turned out to be a pretty stout field in a very strong time of 1618. And you know you want to talk about comebacks? We talk about Anton, but Matt Flaherty basically came from way back, ran Ian and, and Anton and everybody else down, and finished in second place in 1659. Matt is a, a great runner from Indiana who we've met at Cayuga Trails and has had a ton of success at the 50-mile, 100K-type distance. He's a former U.S. champ at Tussie Mountainback and, you know, a, just a, a great kind of short-to-mid-distance ultra runner. Uh, not a ton of success at hundreds in the past. I, it may have been his first hundred, and I think it was his first ultra in several years. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything from him for a while. So uh, really an incre- an, an, a very impressive performance. Uh, I saw the leaders go through uh, Twin Lakes inbound, which is about 100K, uh, was the last time I saw any of the leaders on that race. At that point, Aiden was out in front by about 15 minutes over Anton, Ian, and Tyler Andrews, who were running uh, all about a minute or two apart, about 13 minutes back. Matt did not come through for another 40 minutes after those guys. So he made up right. he made up he 40 punched. minutes on all of them in the last 38 miles. So yeah. uh, he was he was flying. And uh, it's great to see him back in, in really top form. I mean, a, a 1659 coming from, from flatlands of, of Indiana is a, an incredible yeah, yeah. performance there. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Sounds, uh, sounds pretty amazing. And on the women's side... Uh, Annie Hughes winning that one, right? Did you see, how did you see the women's race out there? Yeah, so Annie was in control all day. Annie is a a resident of Leadville herself, actually, and, um, you know, an an accomplished runner in those parts, although not somebody who, with a ton of, um, you know, street cred, I guess, on the the national circuit. Um, Mm. So, you know, she had a a ton of crowd support behind her all day and, uh, and, and was fairly comfortably ahead every time I saw her, which again was two or three times on the course, not really challenged despite having some pretty solid uh, women in the field and came out with a, a, a pretty sizable margin of victory, I think of close to an hour uh, mm-hmm. over second place finisher was uh, Genevieve Harrison. Big DNF rate at Leadville, right? 50% or so over 50%? It's a little over 50, yeah, most years and it was this year. You know, the the course is the course is very very runnable it's it's got beautiful trails and and it's not not terribly technical and even a lot of the climbs other than you know the infamous climb over hope pass is are a lot of the other climbs are pretty runnable you know there are some of the the later climbs that most people hike but it, it is a very runnable course and but it's uh it's all nine to twelve thousand feet and the vast majority of the course is at ten thousand feet or above it's um and the cutoffs are unforgiving it is a it's a, a hundred mile race with a 30 hour cutoff and i think the reason for that is it's a very old race it took its cues from western states and vermont when it was formed and those races had 30 hour cutoffs and so leadville yeah. does as well um, but those races don't take place at and above ten thousand feet yeah. and not only is that 30-hour cutoff very, very difficult because of the altitude, they have a ton of intermediate cutoffs that are, that are quite difficult. You know, you need to be in and out of, of the 50-mile uh, aid station in 14 hours or less, mm-hmm. uh, which can be a tall order when you're, when you're up at that altitude. So the, 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 it's not the course itself that does it. Obviously, it's the altitude and it's, and it's those yeah. cutoffs that, that, uh, yeah. that make it quite so difficult. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about Leadville in the bigger picture. 
and, and and we can we can use this a little bit to jump into I guess the the Western states golden ticket stuff if we want to, uh, although we're starting to run long already and 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 we do need to cover a couple other things, but. You know, while I was out there, I mean, it was, again, it was a great men's field as we talked about those top runners. Uh, Tyler Andrews in his first hundred uh, was was up mixing it up at the front all day. And, and uh, you know, performances from Cody Reed, obviously, uh, Dave Kilgore, some, some really good names in addition to the, the men on the podium that we talked about. The women's race, you know, had some very solid runners, including Eliza uh, Lapierre from, from the East Coast, who we love, who, you know, was game and, and had a, a solid top 10 finish, but, you know, is, is again, coming from, from the East Coast and coming from Flatlands, and, and it makes it very difficult. But it struck me being there and, and you know, anticipating what was coming the following week at UTMB that, that as UTMB continues to ascend, if it does indeed continue to ascend and, and proclaim itself as the championship and as more and more of our top runners go over there, and obviously the Europeans are, are going to be over there, I think it's going to be really, really hard for Leadville to retain any sort of primacy in, as, in terms of being a, a, a really high-level competitive 100-miler. Now, it, that's never going to completely go away. The, the, the history behind Leadville is, I think, too important. It's part of the Grand Slam, obviously, which is still going to attract people uh, and some, some top competitors sometimes. And, you know, the, the list, obviously, of people who have, have competed Leadville and have, have won Leadville is uh, an historic one, and and so you know it's not going to vanish. But uh, I don't I don't think we're I think Leadville is going to become over the next several years. I think it's going to be a lot more like the Bear or uh, you know Cascade Crest yeah. or something like that than it is going to be like uh, Western States or something. It's just too. Yeah. Cl- it's obviously you, there's no way that you can run Leadville in any other race at UTMB. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really, really going to hurt it as as those races continue to ascend in importance. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, maybe we talk about these golden ticket races. It seems like, you know, if you look at where they're positioned, you know, they are all sort of, uh, you know, October, January, February, April. Right. You know, they're kind of positioned pretty nicely for these, uh, you know, the, the top level runners to get these tickets. Um you know, and actually UTMB is a golden ticket race now, right. which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, even though there's some relationship between UTMB and uh, Western States, you know, how how does this kind of, this double set up? Again, we're kind of coming back to this and UTMB being the world championships. Uh, kind of interesting. I'm guessing, I wonder whether States becomes, you know, like we do get some international runners there. But whether it just becomes, you know, much more, you know, focused on a U.S. audience, which I guess to some degree it kind of has already. Right. But it's always great when we see this, the, the deeper feel with the, uh, you know, the overseas runners come in. Right. And and look, and some years it's the men, some years it's the women. I mean, obviously this year we had, you know, a, a European sweep on the women's side for the podium. Um, you know, obviously that race still has huge importance, both domestically and abroad. You know, we we had spoken at length about some of these issues with AJW, and we had kind of speculated at that time about you know what would be the the next shoe to drop on the U.S. side as it relates to UTMB and and Ironman, um, and and we kind of you and I and, and AJW to a certain extent thought that Leadville might seem like a likely domino to fall in that scenario. Uh, they seem like an uh, you know from a corporate standpoint, it would be. Uh, there would be some degree of uh, comfort there 
And it seems like, uh, you know, that would be kind of in line with the kind of um, the, the mission of, of UTMB and, and you know, uh, of Ironman. And, and, and it's, you know, it's one of the largest 100 milers. I think it is the largest 100 miler in the country. And, uh, you know, certainly brings in the money and the, and the sponsorships that, that would be attractive to uh, a big corporate owner. Um, I'm not sure whether um, I believe that now as, you know, I, I don't know how it could fit into the plans of a UTMB unless, you, you know, just because of where it sits in the calendar. And, and, and I, I don't think, you know, as much as, you know, lifetime might be amenable to making um, widespread changes, I think the, the Leadville Trail Foundation, Canon Merrily, and, and everyone who is otherwise associated with the race, I, I don't think that race is shifting off of a mid-August start anytime soon. I can't imagine. So the, the only way I could really see that being kind of folded into this now is as a, a qualifier for the following year or as a maybe could Leadville even become a golden ticket race for uh, Western states of the following mm-hmm. year. So you, you, you slot it in as another golden ticket race kind of the same way that UTMB is. I, I have a hard time believing that there's going to be some sort of partnership between Leadville and states. Certainly not at the moment. I mean, does that happen down the road? Possibly, but you know, right now it doesn't. It doesn't look like that. That will happen based off where it is. I mean, and it seems that uh, a lot of this uh, sponsorship is down to, or a lot of these, sorry, these golden tickets are down to uh, who Hoka is sponsoring. You know, they seem pretty sure. locked in. Like it is the Hoka Golden Ticket races. It's not the Golden Ticket races. You know, right? Hoka's paying the the. The fee for this, you know, they're paying for the sponsorship here, so it's it's really down to them. And when so I've if talked- you want to get on board, you need to go to Hoka, and I'm sure Leadville has its own sponsors, right? They have agreements with these guys. Sure, I mean Leadville is the uh, Sportiva is the title sponsor, and right, um, right. So that that's you know there. right, and and you know when I've talked to Tropical John about this uh, stuff, he he's made it clear that the the Golden Ticket series really is at the at uh, subject to the whims of the title sponsor, and and if right now that's Hoka. You know, Hoka gets the overwhelming majority or the, 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 the you know, final say. On, I don't know if they have the final say. I shouldn't say that. I don't want to, you know, speak mm. out of turn. But they, they have an outsized degree of power in determining which of those races are actually the case. So, right. Uh, I mean, that's why we are seeing that, that you know, that sponsorship uh, of Javelina and, and the, uh, the Corys races are play, are, are, is going to pay off in that, in that sense. Yeah, I mean, we're, we talk about these issues. I mean, right, a, a few months ago when, when we were talking about, you know, could Leadville become part of Ironman and part of UTMB and, and Lifetime sells it, and, you know, that, that made a lot of sense to me. Now, the more that we talk about this and, and, and the way that, you know, Hoka, Western States, UTMB, and these, these things have all come together in, in, a, in a, a way that I don't think any of us anticipated, I think, you know, I think Leadville is going to be, I mean, Leadville's going to be Vermont in a few years, uh, which is not a bad thing. Vermont's a great race, but it's it's not going to get world class fields. It's going to be you know one of the great U.S. races that I don't want to say falls by the wayside by any stretch because I don't think it's going anywhere. But in terms of being a, a you know a top flight competitive race for the for the elites, yeah. uh, you know until there's some structural change in either the sport or the calendar or the way UTMB runs, that's not happening. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it certainly looks like it's the sort of races like Javelina, Black Canyon, 
Bandera that are kind of aligning with, uh, you know, the more UTMB style. Right. Ironman style right. kind and of process, if you like. All races that have previous relationships with Hoka. And so, you know, I mean, that Hoka sponsorship of of the golden ticket races does not have to be a permanent thing i mean when another it used to be the ultra golden ticket series so who knows i mean maybe when it's the nike golden ticket series we'll be doing uh you know some racing around eugene or something but uh for now you know for now that's where we're at so all right that's uh let, let's move along to just a couple more uh, quick one, hits. One, one last. I feel this is like a little. Uh, maybe it's just me, but it's, do we see a little polarization here already? Are we seeing a little sort of separating into like groups, kind of like this. I think world we are. Championship kind of group and this kind of like second tier. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're we're starting to see what what we kind of anticipated is, is this is going to be the haves and the have-nots, right? Yeah, and you're you're. You're going to be tied into, and and I think this is accelerated by what appears to be some sort of relationship between Western states and UTMB that I think as yet is not defined. But mm. um, the the naming of UTMB and of other uh, UTMB owned races as golden ticket overseas golden ticket races, which has never happened before uh, for Western states implies a what what i think is a closer relationship between those two races than most of us had anticipated and i think if that comes to bear if that close relationship or or at least some sort of link up does really take root and we'll have to see how that how that uh fleshes out down the line but if if that's going to be the case of how those two races are related then i think it's going to be even harder for anything outside of you know, these eight to 10 to 12 worldwide races to, to really break through. And look, maybe that's not a bad thing. I mean, we've been wanting the best runners to, we always want the best runners to run against each other. We always get excited when the fields are deep and the best people are in the same place at the same time. And one way that you do that is you elevate a small number of races to a higher level of importance and you kind of incentivize these people to be there. It's, you know, so, so that's not necessarily bad. Yeah, people to focus on one race, one world championship race a year, one big race. Yeah, yeah, it's and obviously. and the, like we like we said with AJW, these other races aren't going anywhere, right? We're going to still be able to run all our favorite races. Is it a little sad that maybe you know Jim won't be at some of these races anymore, or Jared, or Anton, or whoever it is? Yeah, it's a little sad, but you know that doesn't necessarily diminish the experience that yeah. we're going to have. I mean, it means that, you know, potentially we finish one place higher, right? So it's good for us. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. Let's hit real quick the uh, Pikes Peak and U.S. Mountain Champs. Yeah. Some good good racing there. Yeah, Pikes Peak, the Ascent, and the Marathon, both taking place over Leadville Weekend, which was just a couple weeks ago now, the week before UTMB. Uh, that's a it's, it's just a fun time to be in Colorado, I got to tell you. As a, as a trail runner, as a, a, a fan – just to have Leadville going on the same day as the Ascent and then the Pikes Peak Marathon the next day, you know, and oftentimes with, with Trans Rockies going on at the same time, although that was a little bit earlier this year. Uh, just, just a super fun time. In the Pikes Peak Ascent, uh, Joe Gray, who uh, we'll hit on again, but uh, we've said many times and we'll continue to do so, the, the uh, all-time GOAT of U.S., certainly U.S. and possibly world mountain running, yeah. winning the, the Ascent for the fourth time. 
you know, uh, just just continuing an incredible string of performances on his side and backing up his win at the U.S. Mountain Running Championships just a couple weeks before. He's yeah, so a, impressive. Yeah, which I th- I want to say was his 19th national championship and I believe put him on his 33rd national team uh, between, you right. know, various, wow. yeah, various world championships. Uh, so yeah, again, just, uh, the greatest of all time, Max King, uh, runner up at the U S mountain championships was that second place for him. It was, uh, I mean, Joe Gray's what 37 Max King 41. It was the old guys. The old guys, man, that old man strength. And Max, I think, uh, I think making his 20th national team across a, a number of different disciplines, including, uh, world cross country and everything else. Women's side, uh, Grayson Murphy swapper. Uh, having a fantastic yeah. season coming off of uh, a number of PRs at the in the steeplechase at the Olympic trials and then uh, yeah. been tearing it up on the trails this summer. And certainly not anywhere close to being old. No. And she's 25, is she? Definitely the opposite. The opposite of old. Yeah. Yeah. Good for her. No, she's, she's absolutely rocking and rolling. That's, that's great. And uh, we neglected to mention at Pikes Peak on the, on the women's side, uh, Allie McLaughlin, who I think has won the ascent multiple times, uh, did so again this year, and then doubled back actually to finish second in the marathon the next day. So that is quite a weekend uh, for Colorado's Allie McLaughlin. I think behind uh, Casey Enman in the marathon, who is you know uh, also a multi-time yep. winner and a multi-time U.S. mountain running champion. So some really great talent um, battling. I, I love that Pikes Peak is still a really like a. Um, just a premier destination race for the the best U.S. mountain runners and, and, and world. You were uh, you got out on the course, didn't you? And uh, let let rip a little bit with those mountain legs of yours. You you hammered up to the Pikes Peak, didn't you? Well, uh, no, not exactly. But I, I was in Manitou Springs uh, a few days after the right. the the race, and I was able to get up the incline and then come down on the bar trail. So I did see about. Uh, a little tiny bit of the course, a beautiful, beautiful yeah. trail, beautiful. I mean, obviously everything out there. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I only had to run down. Um, it, it, I would suspect is a lot harder on the way up. How'd that go for you? Pretty good. Yeah, it was great. I had the kids you, with uh, me. Showed Killian a, a clean, a clean pair of spandex shorts. Would you? Yes. On the way down? Definitely. Definitely. Nice. Yeah. Right. I was just trying to keep up with, with Dylan. Dylan is running like five to eight miles at a clip right now. Nice. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to do with her. It's uh, All right. it's well, a little frightening. She's racing at uh, Pikes Peak next year. She's talking about doing a twenty-four. She wants to run Leadville. She's a nutcase. Anyway, wow. I can't see where she got that from. Anyway, <laughs> um, look, we've been we've been plugging away for almost an hour and a half here. You you got anything else to add? I mean, there's a gazillion uh, other things Killian, we can talk about. Killian, uh, winning Sierras and all. Of course. Amazing. Yes. What he just, you know, he just shows up, races these things and wins. I mean, still pretty amazing. Um, you know, a little bit shorter core stuff at the moment, but still, yeah, throwing down some uh, some amazing results still. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if and when he pops back into the longer stuff. It's been now a few years since he ran 100, I think. Yeah, I don't know if he will. I don't know if he has the time for it. What, what, one other little tidbit tidbit whatever you like to call it is a ragged mountain 50k kimber mattox winning there um and then david sinclair winning for the men so uh and you were up there i was up there it was a hot one 
it, it was, was a hot uh, one. it was toasty i really uh worked on my temperature management i found that uh if you could get a little cup of ice down the front of the shorts it tends to uh stimulate cool the, the yeah. stimulate a cooling reaction I yeah think it would. yeah you got to be careful with that you can you can vagal out there you can do a problem with that oh, you well can do a uh, you, can, you can just you know the shock of that it, people don't always respond to that well oh really yeah just okay. watch I'll yourself there <laughs> bear that in mind be careful out there it was chilly yet refreshing i would i would i would recommend it but i will definitely uh bow to your medical advice I'm, <laughs> i feel it's something you've had uh some experience with before uh cascade crest was uh this past weekend i believe i just want to shout that out just because i think that's a race that i really want to run one day uh yitka win on the women's side jace hensley on the uh on the men's side those are a couple names from the pacific northwest that we talk about pretty frequently on the domestic scene uh some solid wins there and you know paul had mentioned uh just another uh quick result that we want to talk about finley wild uh ultra runner trail runner from from the uk uh, almost took the Bob Graham round FKT back onto British like soil. Seven minutes off Killian or something? Just missed. Seven minutes off Killian. 12.59. Only the second person ever yeah. under 13 hours for the Bob Graham. That's, uh, that's frightening. You can't beat them, right? He probably did that on fish and chips and tea cake and uh, cups of tea and digestive biscuits. Ca- chamomile and bullet. <laughs> well, I think that's banned actually in the UK. <laughs> Because it's illegal, just <laughs> it's, it's just not done. So, uh, it's not banned; it's frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, you probably get like a minimum of like a, a week in jail for that. <laughs> oh goodness, we not mentioned to dip a biscuit in that. <laughs> we mentioned the self transcendence run is coming up. Uh, also, Lake yeah. Sonoma postponed from the spring will be coming shortly. Uh, you and I will be at the Yeti One Hundred in a few weeks' time. Uh, so we're looking forward to some running down there. And so we'll be back in a few weeks to recap some of those stories and uh, spin forward to the rest of the fall. And we'll have to see how the Ultra Runner of the Year type of races play out. You know, this is going to be uh, the first real season that we don't have the North Face Championships as kind of our yeah. season capper. And with, a, again, this is the same thing that happened a couple of years ago with a lot of these DNFs at UTMB. It's going to be interesting to see what people can put on the slate for the second half of the year, if anything, to make an argument for themselves for Ultra End of the Year. So we'll be able to look forward to some of those things, JFK and the like, coming up in our next episode, maybe a month from I now. Do you believe that your, your friend, your buddy Taggart will be racing at some point in the near future. That's right. We get to look forward to, I think it's Canal Corridor, and then uh, we can look at uh, that. Yeah. some record attempts coming from Desert Solstice. Obviously, no 24-hour yeah. championships this year, so we'll see what comes out of that, what comes out of Javelina, which, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about Leadville's loss and the, and the, the diminishing stature maybe uh, that we anticipated some of these other races, but we, what we didn't talk about now is what does this mean for Javelina and some of the other races where we've seen, you know, maybe these solid but unspectacular fields in the past. Maybe Javelin is a real barn burner this year um, with be, with golden yeah, tickets absolutely. on the line. And, and now that, you know, maybe it's got some UTMB yeah. stones or whatever, what have you, it, it, it could be an interesting fall. So uh, we'll, we'll look forward to that in just a few weeks. Phil, thank you for joining me tonight and going through this very extra special long episode. 
pleasure was all mine. I am exhausted and I am going to go to sleep and we are going to run again on Friday, Sunday. Uh, yeah, at the weekend, I think it's probably a good idea. Sounds good. Do it. Thank you so much to everyone for listening out there. Thank you so much to Paul Kentner, Steeltown Runner, for joining us on this episode to lend us his expertise. And until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded Like a good old pair of jeans Rusty like a proud old car That's drove a little too far and seen Too much rain But long ago as a child I look about the night sky And wild wonder man And ride the bus and feel upset Still young.